Breaking down the biggest stories. One more time for the slower elected officials. When you represent a district, your function is to represent all the people in your district, not only the people that agree with you. Talking about what really matters. If you're one of those people, if you don't like pizza, first thing, why? what's wrong with you? Two, why is that? How can that be a thing that you don't like pizza? Too messy? And don't tell me you eat pizza with a fork, please. And bringing you the biggest forum to let your voice be heard. Hello, political poll. I never have before, but go ahead, shoot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Now, broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Okay. All right. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Here's Steve Scafidi. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy, Happy Friday. Friday. So one voice you recognize right out of the, <laughs> right out of the gate, Bill McCosh from Public Stratus. The other voice... In the who, house today. In the, yes, special <laughs> guest appearance. In the house. Just for the folks who are asking, your son's surgery went fine last Friday, yes? Yes, it went well. He's already back in the gym. That's impressive. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, he's determined. These docs, and he's also young, that helps too. 23, yeah. not bad. A youngster. Yeah. Have you ever had knee surgery? I have. Yeah. When I was 13. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, I still feel it when it's cold and damp <laughs> outside. Yeah. Hockey injury? It was a mini bike injury at the YMCA in Superior, Wisconsin. <laughs> oh. Yeah. All right. We'll dig into that at some point. Yeah, we will. Later in the show. <laughs> the other voice you hear is Sarah Galuski. Welcome. It is great to be here. You were here about a, six weeks ago? Well, I don't know if Billy didn't tell you I got here at eight because I was so excited to <laughs> wow. be on the show. I oh, wanted man. to make sure that she I was here. She now has the honor of being the earliest arriver ever ever for this friday segment <laughs> ever and she sent me a was it a text or a, a i'm like you, what you, are you doing here i Why nominate you, you for guest of the week Thank that's you. very good yeah. if we had such an award it would be sarah what yeah an honor yeah all right so we have to talk about what happened on tuesday and and we're going to go a couple different ways on this but i'm just going to go with sarah first what did you take away from tuesday's election in the state of wisconsin uh, wow about the turnout I mean, to think that the 2023 Supreme Court primary beat the turnout of the 2022 primary where we had a governor, like a competitive governor's race. And we're talking almost a million people came out and they were energized. And it was across the entire state was the enthusiasm. And I think this is a really good sense of what the election is going to look like in the general. So oh, let's get Bill's take. And then I'm going to ask you the why of that turnouts sarah's right about that the turnout in august was a record and it was smashed on tuesday in a february uh primary it's sort of amazing so there's enormous energy uh for conservatives the fear is that most of that energy is on the other side it's on the left right now and we're going to talk about that over the next couple of segments but i I think the turnout was the huge takeaway I think the fact that Doral came so close despite getting outspent five to one uh, is another big takeaway. And I, I think this is just the beginning for Jennifer Doral. I don't think this was the last we're going to see her on a statewide ballot. I asked Jennifer this question, Judge Jennifer Doral, this question when she was on with me a week before the election. And I asked her this directly. Would she have run if, if she hadn't been part of that trial in Waukesha? And she said yes. I think that that's really what her profile, though, in the state was about. And that was mainly southeastern Wisconsin focused. Did that hurt her in the election, do you think? 
remember, she was only in for 90 days. And so the, the upside of her campaign was, and Sarah's run statewide a couple times now, it, it, she raised 900 grand in 90 days. That's pretty amazing. She was outspent five to one. She had the, a better Wisconsin together, spent $2.2 million against her. But if you go back to the original conversation we had today on turnout, the two highest counties for turnout were Dane County and Waukesha County. And Jennifer Doro easily won Waukesha County by like 30 points over Dan Kelly. So she did generate turnout. She did generate energy here in southeast Wisconsin, but she did not have the money to overcome the outside spending against her or the outside spending for Dan Kelly. So, uh, again, I think she went out with enormous, incredible grace. Uh, best concession speech I've ever heard or seen. She followed that up the next day with a tweet that will live forever that was even more gracious to Dan Kelly. Uh, so I would say uh, she's set herself up really nice, and I wouldn't be surprised if she's the conservative candidate next uh, April when there's a Republican presidential primary. Ann Walsh-Bradley's seat is up. I think uh, in the clubhouse, Jennifer Doro is the early favorite on the conservative side, and I think uh, uh, you're going to hear a lot about that in the next few months. Interesting. Let's talk about the why of the turnout. What's your answer to the why of why so many people showed up when typically they don't? I mean, I think that when I look at both sides, they did a good job of communicating what's at risk in this election. And it's real things. I mean, we're talking about an abortion lawsuit is right now going through the court system that's literally could overturn the 1849 ban that's saying that government can choose what women do with their bodies. And that's real to people. And we think about gerrymandering. We think about... um Marriage. I mean, all of these things are real life things that can impact Wisconsinites and the courts are the ones that are going to make those decisions. When I talked to the justices in in the interviews pre-election, they always told me it's not about interpreting. It's not about changing the law. It's interpretation of, of the law that the legislature creates. Right. Right. So when we talk about these things like abortion, many of the big issues that are swirling that will swirl around this race in the next six weeks. What's your what's your thought on that? Because I've had. Obviously, Dan Kelly saying, you leave it alone. We're not there to make law. But then I hear the abortion side of the conversation. Here's this law. It's it's in the books, 1849. And now we are effectively trying to change that law. But, Steve, we're not trying to change that law because the lawsuit's actually asking about the law that was developed in 1985 that actually defines when an abortion can happen. And what I get frustrated with, it's not about this 1849 ban. But that's what everybody talks about. That's what everybody talks about, because that's what somehow this law precedes what this 1985 law says, which basically defines when the state can and cannot have an abortion, which is after this law talks about after 20 plus weeks. And so what the lawsuit is saying is, look, why are we all of a sudden allowing this 1849 ban to exist when the law that actually precedes that, that is evolving with where we are today more in a modern-day society, then we didn't even have sliced bread in 1849. And this is defining when the state and providing the parameters around abortion. That's what we need to be thinking about. Bill. Well, from a legal standpoint, anything that happened after Roe uh, 49 years ago, 50 years ago this year, uh, is is should is wiped out right by the Dobbs decision that that's the legal theory on this. So the question is, does the 85 law really take precedent in this case? I don't I don't know that it does or doesn't. I'm not an attorney, 
Um, but again, this is this is an area where conservatives have two issues. I mean, problems in this Supreme Court race. Number one is money. There's no question about that. But number two is this abortion issue. I don't think they have the right answer on this. The Republicans majorities in the legislature did last session. They passed the 20 week ban that Governor Evers vetoed. Most people forget about that for whatever reason. Most candidates don't even talk about it. Uh, but but there is a roll call vote by Republicans to do a 20 week ban in the state of Wisconsin that was modeled after other states that had passed constitutional muster with the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing the Republicans do something to update the law in their March floor period before this race is over. If they don't and they lose this race in April, will they regret not doing that, doing something? Well, listen, uh, Janet, Janet Protasiewicz and her allies, a Better Wisconsin Together and others, are already running ads on abortion against Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly's going to spend, there's a six-week general election. Dan Kelly's going to spend the first two weeks trying to raise money just to compete. Democrats didn't have to waste that first two weeks. They're already on the air defining this issue on their terms. That's a pretty significant advantage for Democrats going forward. And there's no question it's a motivating factor on the left. But I do think, Bill, I mean, look, Dan Kelly, as far as I understand, didn't spend any of his own money. It was all these super PACs and special interests that were spending money on his behalf. And so I think he can get out of the gate now using and spending more of his money. Um, But when you're talking about the millions and millions of dollars, it's like, I mean, it's almost inundated. It gets to the point where my parents in western Wisconsin are showing me telephone books thick of both sides of mailers that they're getting because they're just inundated. It's yeah. just to an extreme. And one one expects that that will get even worse in the next six weeks. We've yes. got to take a break here. We're going to stay on this topic. Bill McCaution, Sarah Godlewski, you're listening to WTMJ. Absolutely thrilled to have Bill McCaution in studio. Great to be here. Sarah Godlewski. Hello. Early arriving, Sarah Godlewski. <laughs> Which, for the record, I'm not a morning person either, Steve. So. You, were, you were bright and cheery. Had you, had you fooled. I had like, first or last. Huh? Ain't first or last. Yes. I had to, like, prop the door because I Bobby. wasn't sure I could get first back or last. in. <laughs> letting her in this building. So I love the propness. All right, we're going to get back to what we were talking about Tuesday. I did an hour on the show yesterday. This issue, and I, and I was chastised a couple times. I said abortion. It's actually... In, in both Democrat women's minds and Republican women's minds, abortion slash women's rights. So I want to be, I want to give it the right temperature, the right, you know, the right um, term. So on that subject, when we're talking about this issue, this is the issue in the race, is it not? I, I think it has to be. I, I mean, when I talk to people across the state, and these are independents, Democrats, conservatives, I they're concerned about this because they have seen how it has impacted whether it is a friend, a family member. Uh, it's 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 real. And to tell a population that they can no longer make their health care choices and that government is the one that decides that doesn't bode well. So, Bill, from the other side of the aisle, lots of heavy lifting to do before April. All of the all of the talking heads, not all, but a lot of them were saying it had to be Doro to win in April. Now they're, they've shifted, and now it's a uni, unified plea out there, right? We got to get together. We got to win this race. Tell me how that happens. I, listen, I'll admit, I was a Doro supporter. I, I voted for her. Uh, I think she was the better matchup with Janet Protosiewicz, uh, especially not only because of her popularity in Southeast Wisconsin, the you know the 
which creates 40% of all the votes in a, in an election. Uh, but because she was a female, I think that, that would have helped a lot. But voters made a different choice, and, and I respect that. But on the abortion issue itself, I think there's a couple things to think about here. Sadly, a lot of voters are considering the Supreme Court a super legislature to make the laws. That isn't their role. There is a separation of powers. The, the courts are there to interpret the laws, not make the laws. Janet Prosewitz is essentially saying, I'm going to make the laws as it relates to redistricting, abortion, uh, gay rights, those kinds of things. She has said that. I mean, there's quotes out there where she said she's on the vast myriad of issues. I think this is a direct quote. Uh, I won't put my thumb on the scale. So the right answer on that is I'll never put my thumb on the scale. That isn't the role of a judge. So there's a super legislative portion of this that's being totally missed uh, by the Kelly campaign and being missed by the public. Uh, the the Supreme Court isn't there to create a new abortion law. So if Pro Sewitz wins and if the all-female save Hagedorn uh, court overturns the 1849 law, then we have no law. That's what ultimately happens. So we have to start from there. But I think, I mean, Bill, it, really the Supreme Court races that we're seeing are coming down to is they're becoming partisan. Yeah, no question. I mean, when Dan Kelly makes a statement that, he is embarrassed that he endorsed Brian Hagedorn because of Brian's vote with the Trump case when we were talking about the fake electors. I mean, this is partisanship at its finest. And when you are running a, you know, your your campaign out of the, you know, uh, political party's headquarters, I mean, I think what we are seeing and where these elections are going when we're talking about the Supreme Court is they are becoming more and more partisan. That is what we are seeing. I, it's not becoming. They are. They, they are. are. The, they the are. ship has sailed, so <laughs> yeah, that's our future, correct? It's not like your your side is more partisan than I'm. No. They're, they're both all in, all in. on correct these races. Correct me if I'm wrong. Three of the justices voted to, de- to not certify the election in Wisconsin. Isn't that correct? That, they did. That is correct. That's mind-blowing bo- mind yeah. to me. But that's what happened. Yeah. But but here's a situation where I think uh, Kelly hurt himself. Uh, I thought potentially fatally on the on the in the primary where he said he would he refused to endorse Doro if she won. That was a mistake. I mean, if I'm advising Kelly's campaign right now, I'm saying show Jennifer Doro some amount of grace that he, she showed you. To his credit, he was very complimentary on Wednesday when I had him on the show. But again, that's after the election. Easier to do. It's easier. Well, and minds were made up. I mean, he turned off a lot of female voters when he, he, I would say, disrespected her in the primary. All right, I got to take another break. Bill McCaution, Sarah Godlewski, there's, I, I could do like two hours with you guys. You guys are so good. We won't, we won't make you stay for two hours. Without <laughs> Sarah's two, been here two hours. Yeah, I know. Actually, actually, she's, she's punching another hour. There's a second hour. Ready. All right, we'll take a break. You're listening to WTMJ. Real quick before we get to news here, Sarah Godlewski, Bill McCaution, um, is money the issue and it's going to be the thing we're going to we're going to be bombarded with the pamphlets that show up at our mailboxes the the, the commercials are already running yeah we just saw one for dan kelly there i think was dan kelly or was that for janet it, w- it was against dan kelly okay so for janet i would say money will be the deciding factor in this race we've already set by this weekend we will have set a supreme court record and we still have five and a half weeks to go in this race i think it'll go north of 20 million we're over 10 right now it could get to 25 depending on how close the race gets so yeah money will be this deciding factor kelly's got to be on the phone on the phone on the phone uh if he wants to keep up with pro what's the big donors whose name you can see just by reading the newspaper are they going to 
crank out some big dollars for him in the next six weeks? Well, they didn't in the primary. I know. There, there was That's one one donor that yes. that sort of propped him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you and know, that he, donor he's got to prove to them they can win. Gave a few million dollars. <laughs> So we're talking like north of a few zeros afterwards. All right. We're just getting warmed up on this Friday. Sarah Godlewski, Bill McCashin, left and right, Republican and Democrat. Let's um, take a break for news. Lots more to talk about. We are in studio with Sarah Godlewski, former state treasurer, and representing the left side of the aisle, Democrats. And Bill McCashin on the right. Guys everywhere. You saw him on TV when I was doing the show yesterday. I almost stopped talking for a while to see what you were... See if the uh, see what kind of BS I was slinging. No, 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 no. People, people, people love this hour. I, this is my most popular hour on the show. That's awesome. Thank you probably, to the listeners. And to be self-deprecating, probably not because of me. Well, it's your show. It is my show. My name's on it. Still, it unless, is your show. Unless it's a peck or Makashin moves in. All right. <laughs> so it is one year since the war in Ukraine started. Serious story. I mean, we were talking during the break. The the scale of this, the mm-hmm. the seriousness of this. And I asked you in, in our pre-show notes, where do you see this going? What's the end game look like? Because I have no idea at this moment, a year later, what that's going to look like. I mean, I think when you're dealing with Vladimir Putin, he is unpredictable. But what is key about this conflict is this is a conflict about democracy. It is at the heart of what this country stands for. And I think that, you know, with President Biden going to Kiev really demonstrates America's commitment to fighting for our principle of democracy at the end of the day. Is it that simple? Is that that's that's what we we're fighting for? Or I, I would say we're fighting for freedom. Yeah. And and the uh, coalitions on this are very diverse now. And we talked about this a little bit uh, during the break. But it used to be you would think the Republicans would be the hawks here. Right. And, and they would be the ones that would be all in on defending Ukraine. And Mitch McConnell clearly is in that camp. But there's a significant portion of the Republican base today who is against this. They don't understand why we're there, what our objective is, and why we can't spend you know, $120 billion here rather than there. So, and, and we also talked about AOC had a town hall this week where she got hammered by the left uh, anti-war activists who showed up at a town hall saying, why are you supporting this Ukrainian war? So I, I think sort of the politics of this have scrambled and it's not as clear as it might have been. But I think overall, my point would be uh, Americans are less tolerant of forever wars. And, and look, as somebody whose generation uh, is basically my whole adult life, I've been experiencing conflict. I mean, it started with the Gulf War and then Iraq and the war against terrorism like it has been for most of my adult life. You can really understand why people are just tired of conflicts. But I think one of the things that we just can't also forget about is, yes, this is about democracy and freedom. It's also about our national security at the utmost because China, well, President Biden got all this great coverage, and he should, for this historic visit without any American troops on the ground, this 10-hour trip through Poland. The next day, China's foreign minister went to Russia to meet with President Putin to talk about their partnership. And we are seeing this kind of coalition between China and Russia and Africa that can be incredibly threatening to our national security and overall prosperity. Does our our splits 
even inside one party, Republicans, on yeah. this issue, that lack of, of, of a united sense that this is a fight for freedom, that, that seems to be problematic in all the things Sarah just mentioned, relationships with China, relationships with Putin, whatever that is, and however crazy this guy is. And it seems like that answer is kind of crazy. How do, we, how do we reconcile this? This is a country that always fights for freedom, right? From the beginning of our country. It's our founding principle. So yeah. how, do we, how do you reconcile this? And, and it, it drives me nuts that I hear some of my Republican friends saying, I don't want to spend all that money there. So then what do we, sta- what do we stand for? Yeah, and I don't know that there's a, a good answer for that, Steve, because it's yeah, we we have to be able to walk and chew gum. There are people like in East Palestine, Ohio, that feel unseen, right? And yet we're we're we see the people in Ukraine and we're coming to their aid, and they see that on a regular basis. So there has to be some kind of balance. Today we live in a 24-hour news cycle, mm-hmm. right? It's not like. Uh, the old days when I grew up or you grew up where, you, you know, it was a morning paper. So you, you had 24 hours to sort of change the news. The news changes in five minutes today. And so people are more plugged in and they're like, they want to be seen. So I think you can walk and chew gum. I think you can stand for freedom as we have since the founding of our country and stand with people here who are hurting. A professor from a, a local university sent me this the other day, and I didn't get a chance to read out in the air, but he said he was concerned because of how Americans consume news. That's not really news. And I, I blew up Sean Hannity yesterday for a comment he made about something that one of his admirers made. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's in Congress uh, about someone moving and then having voting rights. I, I, don't, I don't get this. If we're going to be educated Americans... We are going in the wrong direction. Social media, networks that outright lie on both sides. MSNBC was a cheering section for a lot of Democrats for a long time, and probably still is. I I spend not that much time on either of them anymore because it's not worthwhile time. It's not time spent really learning anything. And that's, I think, part of the erosion of what goes into our just our brains. And that, I think, is the answer on why we can't be together on something as important, my opinion, as this. Is that overstating? I, I don't think so. I don't think it is. I, there is a social media component to this, and, and people get their news from social media, and those sources aren't always accurate, right? They weren't accurate pre-Elon Musk. They aren't accurate post-Elon Musk in some cases. So I, I think that is a driving factor with ki- children's mental health, to be honest with you. And I'm, I find myself as a as a freedom, liberty-loving uh, conservative now sort of in favor of these uh, kids can't have <laughs> – access to social media until they're 16 the years way. old. I, I you know? don't see I, I mean, the value of it. it, it uh, mental health problems are at an all-time high. Obesity, suicide, child suicide. It, it's it's Something's got to be done. Where does the sure. Democrat fall on that issue? Do you think we should restrict some of that stuff? I mean, when we're talking about one in three now, young kids are dealing with some sort of mental health issue. And when you look at the link between social media, I mean... I think it's a conversation about where's the transparency and accountability because they can just communicate anything and it's directly direct, to each other directly. I mean, I think about, you know, the kind of mean girl situations that <laughs> everyone experienced in like middle school and high school. And that was just when you were in school, you could at least go home and try to like, you know, be with your family. And, and now you're getting it 24 seven through all sorts of social media channels. And so I think we've got to start thinking about linking mental health to social media. Take the politics out of it. If we ask most American parents that question, should we not allow 
whatever age you pick, 12, 16, whatever it is, to not have access. You think it would be on the plus side? Yeah, they shouldn't have it, or it would it be the other way? I think it'd be on the plus side. Yeah? I mean, when I was campaigning, I heard about, I heard from moms about mental health with their kids all the time, and they were always talking about the link to social media. Yeah, I, I got a 15-year-old granddaughter. I wish she experienced the same mean girl stuff you did and my wife did, right? Yeah. I mean, now it's it's in her face all the time. All the time it, yeah. You know, she's with a good group of kids in a good school, but it's uh, her friends have faced it for sure. Bill Makasha and Sarah Godlewski, we have a couple more segments to go in the hour. If you have a question for each of my guests, either of my guests, uh, just fire it off on the old National Bank. talking text line 855-616-1620. You're listening on this beautiful Friday morning to WTMJ. Everybody's working for the weekend. I got two plus hours to go. I don't be playing that song yet. I got stuff to do, buddy. That's our closing song. <laughs> now I'm going to be in a very relaxed. <laughs> no, I am looking forward to the weekend, though. It sounds like the weather's going to warm up here in Wisconsin. Wherever you're at, hopefully the weather is uh, looking more promising than what we saw this week. Crazy weather. Crazy weather. Yeah. Snowmageddon didn't happen, though. We got ice instead in Madison. I literally chipped off because my truck sits in a driver in my F-150, and it had two inches of ice on it. Yep, same. Uh, it was crazy. I'm like hacking on this thing. <laughs> my parents in Eau Claire, can't, they couldn't open up their back door. It was 12-plus inches of yeah, snow. they got it. They wanted to put out a white flag that say, we give up, Mr. Winter. Yeah. You win. You win. Now, the good news is it's late February, so. Yeah, we're getting closer. <laughs> we can see the end. Hopefully. That's, we've, Hopefully. We've lived here. We know what it's like. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Wisconsin. We have this budget surplus. We have yeah. some back and forth between legislators and the governor and, and other elected leaders in the state. Are we going to get to something that's going to give us that money back? Is it going to be spent in any unique way that we haven't already heard about? I know tax reform is a hot topic. Well, I would say we have two-thirds of the budget. We've got the governor's primary budget that was introduced a couple weeks ago. Next week, he will introduce his capital budget, which is the state building program. Um, I think overall, I'm encouraged that the leadership in the governor's office are having conversations. I think that's healthy for democracy. I think it's healthy for our state. And I think there's a way they both can win if you know on a couple key issues, which we've talked about over the last few weeks. So... Uh, I hope that continues. I think we will see most of that money come back to taxpayers in one way, shape, or form. And there's a couple. I mean, a, a tax cut is one way to do it, but another way is to pay for one-time projects at UW-Milwaukee or UW-Eau Claire or UW-Madison with that cash rather than bonding for it. So that ultimately saves taxpayers money over time. And Sarah was the treasurer. She can confirm that. So I, I think we will see all of that money come back uh, in some manner. It may not all be in a tax uh, cut it'll go into our schools it it could be for the state building program but it ultimately yes taxpayers will see that money we will get something done i, I mean i think that we all agree that seven billion dollars in a surplus is way too much money and wisconsin taxpayers deserve to have that back i mean that's pretty clear right. when the governor has made that a very important part of his budget both from the tax cuts for middle-class families, but also when it comes to shared revenue and thinking about it. Uh, you know, the one thing I hope when you're talking about a once-in-the-lifetime surplus is can we do this a few of these one-time investments that would really make a difference for so many working families in Wisconsin? So I've, had I've heard, heard that argument. So people have texted back and said, is that how we should use this? As a big-time, like even the Brewers thing, right, controversial, 300 
million dollars. So, so is that how we should use it? So let's talk about some of these investments. I mean, I think the one investment that a majority of Wisconsinites want is some sort of paid family leave program. I mean, 77% of Wisconsinites don't have access to paid family leave. It keeps them out of the workplace. Sometimes then they never go back. And this is a program that can be self-sustaining. So basically what the governor's budget is saying is, all right, give us $240 million to start this. Once it's started through the whole program, it will be able to pay itself. And so that's what I think is an innovative program. And when we are looking at it, we're losing people in Wisconsin. We have a, one of the fastest aging populations in the country. And when you, who just passed a paid family leave program that's attracting young families? Minnesota. We've got to be competitive. And so this is one of the ways I think this is a prime investment that the governor's proposed that Wisconsin needs. I, I don't think paid family leave will be part of the final budget that passes the legislature. But back to the Brewers, I think the governor did something wise there by using the one-time money. Remember, a state senator was recalled over the original Miller Park funding, George P. Tech, mm-hmm. and, uh, because it included a, a regional tax. Here are the sum enemy to others. Right. Uh, it included, you're a big baseball fan, it, it included a, 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 a perpetual tax, which has since been repealed. Uh, I think the governor was smart to use one-time money. That's the safest way politically to keep. Uh, but I'm not sure that's going to happen in the budget either. I think the, the Republicans may try and do that on a separate track so they can actually get Democratic votes, particularly from the Milwaukee area. I love your your sense of optimism on the agreements on this budget. I'm not that optimistic because I, 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 I at the beginning I was a little more, but now it seems like there's there's less talk, unless I'm misreading something. I mean, they're talking like. Well, I'm going to have this, both, this is the dark have period. both in the studio next week, so we'll ask him that question. Fiscal Bureau is analyzing the budget. That'll go on until yeah. early April. So this is sort of that dark period anyway, where they're sort of figuring out all right, all what right. the priorities will be. You guys are more optimistic than me. That's good <laughs> on a Friday. All right, Bill McCoshin, Sarah Godlewski, after the break, the all-important grab bag where you get to decide what we talk about. Not that you don't do that already. After this. See, he listened to what we were talking about. He upped the uh, spirit of it. <laughs> Very nice, producer Brandon. All right, so, crab bag time on the 9 o'clock hour, Friday edition. Uh, Mr. McCoshin, I'm going to give mind. the listeners my favorite Tony Earl story. Passed away this Passed week. Passed away this week, 41st governor of the state of Wisconsin. In 1988, I was working for a fledgling uh, state's, uh, U.S. Senate campaign for Steve King. Were you like 15? No. <laughs> I had just graduated. I was graduated from college the year before. I was 23 years old. All right. You were a youngster. And I started out as Steve's driver. I ended up as his deputy campaign manager by the end of it. He was running in a primary against Susan Engelider. Steve was is an unbelievable gentleman. I mean, he, he's a friend of mine. He's been a business partner in the Janesville Jets. There's my weekly mention of the Jets. But uh, the campaign wasn't couldn't break through against a more moderate candidate. Being conservative was not cool back then. So I came up with an idea, uh, and Tony Earl was struggling on the Democratic side against Herb Cole. So I came up with the idea to create the royal debates between the king and the earl. And we went around the state, and we had, back then, local newspapers were local, and so they covered it. So there were four, I think it was three or four debates with Tony and uh, Steve, and the two of them couldn't have been better uh, adversaries slash friends. It was all gentlemanly. It was all high-minded, not low-ball stuff. And it's my favorite memory of Governor Earl. And I, uh, uh, I would say, you know, to his family, our, your, our everyone's prayers are with you. He was, 
he he was a consummate um, public servant, and uh, he will be missed. I know that's true because I heard from people on both sides that say he was a complete class act gentleman, and in his short time accomplished a lot. Pretty fun to have beer with too. There you go. Personal story from Bill McCaution. Sarah Galuski. Well, I just want to also build off of what Bill said about Governor Earl, because I will never forget the first time I met him. We went to lunch, um, and I was uh, thinking about running for this position called state treasurer, and he was willing to meet with this random woman from Eau Claire, <laughs> Wisconsin. And uh, we sat down for lunch, and I, he, you know, we were talking about it, and... I was like, are you going to ask me, like, why do you even do this? Like, this is a position that people don't even know exists in our Constitution. And he said, Sarah, there's no position too small to serve in Wisconsin. And he says, every position can make a difference. It's all about who you are and what you want to do. And that, to me, still to this day, really resonates. And so, to Tony and his family, I, I'm, I'm, we lost a great one this week, for sure. We did. Um, on, on your old job, what did you learn in that job? Not the technical stuff. Just what did you learn about yourself in that job? I mean, I really believe that what Tony said, it's always it's about the person, not the position like you can use your public office to do good things if you want to. Totally agree. And so it's about, you know, traveling the state, meeting with people and figuring out how to best serve them. Love it. Joe's going to have to up his game next week. He, he will. He will. Sarah. And, and his wardrobe. <laughs> his wardrobe. I almost wore a hat backwards you for Joe today. I know. Hopefully he's out there he'll listen at some point sarah Godlewski, thanks for filling in for joe thanks for having me we'll see you again bill mccaution great to see you as always great to be here good luck to your son on his recovery from Thank knee you. surgery breaking down the biggest stories one more time for the slower elected officials when you represent a district your function is to represent all the people in your district not only the people that agree with you talking about what really matters if you're one of those people if you don't like pizza First thing, why, what's wrong with you? Two, why is that? How can that be a thing that you don't like pizza? Too messy? And don't tell me you eat pizza with a fork, please. And bringing you the biggest forum to let your voice be heard. Hello, political poll. I never have before, but go ahead, shoot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Now, broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Hey. All right. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Here's Steve Scafidi. And good morning again. It's 10.08 here at WTMJ from our beautiful studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee. You can come out and say hi. We have glass, glass wall of the studio right here on Wisconsin Avenue. All right, so producer Brandon uh, did a great extra point this morning talking about the, the mental health aspect of Aaron Rodgers retreats. What was it called? Sensory deprivation, I think is the, yeah, is the yeah, scientific term. Pretty much. Yeah. And you had a pretty strong take and I want to just kind of ask you about it a little bit. So you're you're going with the let's not criticize someone because they're trying to do something to improve their mental health in the most generic term. Um just their state of mind. Is that what you think this is? I think it is, and I think he's talked about it a little bit. You know, mental clarity, I think that all ties into his mental health, and, and he's different, right? Like, that's that's not breaking news. I think we all agree with that, and that's how he does it. For somebody else, it might be going to talk to a therapist. Maybe that's not what he wants to do, but doing the ayahuasca, doing, you know, these the trips that he goes out to in Peru, and, and the, the darkness retreat is a way for him to clear his head and, and figure out what he wants to do as an individual, as a professional athlete.
And if it works for him, it works for him. And and he talked about it on the Pat McAfee show that he's heard really good things about it. And I just don't like how, as a country, as as a society, we preach, hey, mental health is important. You got to take care of your mental health. Go take care of your mental health. And when somebody does it in a way that people may not agree with or think, oh, that's weird. It can be weird, sure. But he's still trying to seek treatment for whatever it is he's got going on. So two things. One... I think it's the desire for some people, and hopefully I don't do this, to have hot takes on any sports question. And you're, you've been involved in, in sports radio enough to know that that's kind of what drives it. Every show, sure. TV, radio, it's all about the hot takes. The second piece of this is, what's the line between a quarterback, high-level quarterback, four-time MVP, Super Bowl winner, what, 18th or 19th year in the league, between the mental health piece and then just screwing around with the team. Because there's a lot of people that are angry about that component of this. Where is the line exactly? Because at some points, all the fans, the team probably, are waiting for Aaron Rodgers to make a decision. Yeah, and I think, and, and that's the part where, I, like I said in the extra points, and if you haven't listened to it, uh, you can check it out on WTMJ.com. That's kind of what I was saying as well, that you got to have a line where you can criticize him. You can be upset that you know he's dragging out every offseason for the past three years. You can be upset that he's talking about his teammates out publicly. You can be upset that he's talking about uh, coaches and calling out Matt LaFleur and the game plan and Brian Gutekunst, all of that. But we can't criticize somebody for going out and seeking to – to, to get better, to, to have a little bit of clarity on what they want to do. Because at the end of the day, we get so consumed with pro sports and pro athletes that we forget that they're also human, too. And there's a human element to it. And isn't it annoying that he goes on Pat McAfee's show and he kind of toys around with, is he going to return? Is he not going to return? Is, when are we going to hear from Aaron Rodgers? Sure. But at the end of the day, you know, this is still something that he's deciding to go do to help himself. And, and if it works, it works. I, I just wanted to bring you on quickly because I, I, I heard your extra points a couple times this morning, and, and I just thought, yeah, that's, that's something I didn't think of in, in, the, in terms of Aaron Rodgers. And you won't find a bigger fan of the uh, on-the-field quarterback for the Green Bay Packers than me. Did so, you want to hear it again? Yeah, why don't we play it? Why don't we play it? Good, good idea. You got it? It's time for Extra Points, a sports opinion commentary on Wisconsin's morning news. Here's Brendan Snide. Let's face it, everyone. Mental health issues and awarenesses are at an all-time high in this country as we break into 2023. Unfortunately, more Americans are suffering from mental illnesses and post-traumatic stress disorders than ever before, myself included in that. And if there's one thing that drives me angry, it's the way people judge, or in this case, poke fun of others on how they handle or treat their conditions. Look, I've been tough on Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, at least for his on-the-field antics or even... Some of his questioning of coaches following a loss. I've even recently called for the Packers to move on from the four-time MVP this week. As we learned on Thursday, Rodgers has concluded his darkness retreat. And of course, as I scroll through social media yesterday, there was an unlimited amount of jokes and memes directed towards the man. My question to you is why? Why do we preach mental health awareness and encourage treatment, and yet when someone chooses to do so in maybe a unique way, a way that we don't all understand, We sit back and we make jokes and we critique them. Let me level with you all here. You can all be critical of Aaron Rodgers. You can question his 2022 season. You can question his offseason. It would be even completely fair to say you can be upset at him calling his teammates out publicly. And, well, the past three years, dragging out every offseason. But one thing, there's one thing you cannot be critical of, is how he decides to treat his mental well-being. If mental health is a serious priority in this country, practice what you preach and be better. 
My producer, Brandon Snide, with a great extra points. Uh, thanks for letting us play that again. Um, what do you think? 855-616-1620. You know what? After listening to that a couple times now, three times now, I agree with Brandon on this. I think there is a, a time that there's a time for having fun with Aaron Rodgers, certainly. But if we're going to have, we're going to go around talking, and it's not just about sports, it's mass shootings, education, schools. If we're going to talk the mental health game, perhaps we should listen to our own words. 855-616-1620. That's the conversation which begins after this. Join us at WTMJ for a day-long broadcast next week. Annex Wealth Management presents WTMJ Conversations 2023, sponsored by Smart Spaces. All of the names you know that might make Milwaukee operate. Long-form conversations with professionals from all sorts of industries, including politics, sports, the arts, and more. Wednesday, March 1st, starting at 8 a.m., Annex Wealth Management presents WTMJ Conversations 2023 right here on WTMJ. And I, I'm thrilled I get to talk to Governor Tony Evers, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, Justice Dan Kelly, Judge Janet Protosewitz, and the Mayor of Milwaukee, Cavalier Johnson. How about that for a lineup? All in two and a half hours. So looking forward to Wednesday. That's a, a big, big show. Part of a day-long game changers, newsmakers, uh, completely scheduled day of interviews with some exciting guests across the spectrum of all the shows can't not wait for wednesday all right we were talking about aaron Rodgers before the break no phone calls but i got a lot of texts 855-616-1620 from the 262 a thought if rogers and others pay big money for voluntary solitary confinement they're doing us all a favor and completely nullifying any argument that such conditions for notorious prisoners is somehow inhumane a little bit off topic but um yeah, perhaps. Uh, from the 760, thanks for the long-distance listen. If you look at Aaron Rodgers and what he's all about, which is football, his mental health problems also are well displayed on the field where he rolls his eyes, cusses, calls out his fellow players. Help for addressing what he's all about and what he loves to do cannot come from isolation. Rodgers is seeking attention, much like Donald Trump does. That's an interesting take, uh, 760. As much as I know about the public side of Aaron Rodgers. I don't know anything about the personal because none of us, most of us have never met him. California kid, right? So he grew up in California, played football in California, drafted by the Green Bay Packers. I get the sense he's a, he's a thoughtful guy. I, I think he's well-read. I think in, the, in terms of a professional football player, he's unique. If I compare, and it's not a Results comparison. So I'm going to compare him to Tom Brady. Tom Brady seems incredibly focused on the on-field stuff. Aaron Rodgers, that's certainly a skill set that he has, highest, one of the highest achieving quarterbacks of all time. But there's a lot more to him. Uh, there's depth of character there. Now, I, I've disagreed with him on a lot of things. His, his thoughts on vaccines and COVID. He can say all he wants about you know, listening to all sides, he definitely has a side and he definitely has a take on things. And sometimes the authorities or the people he cites for his opinions in many ways are, have been debunked previously. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, from the 414, I think that we think a man with that amount of success and money shouldn't need any mental health. Also, if you do, maybe do it Let's and keep it to yourself. That's the big one for me. I mentioned this before. 
You want to do all this stuff? If it's truly for mental health, talk about it afterwards. Afterwards makes sense. Before you go, you don't know what the benefit's going to be. So you could be, in, in some weird way, pointing people towards treatments, behavioral ideas related to mental health that, frankly, don't work. And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, whether it's ayahuasca, your eating habits. You know, I think he's a non-dairy guy, if I remember correctly. Um, isolation, sensory deprivation, all these things. Talk about it afterwards. But now you've created this environment where people are, are being told, I'm going in. And it becomes somewhat of a sideshow or a circus. Does it have to be? No. If you don't talk about it, you can tell us after the fact, I did this. Now, to Brandon's point, producer Brandon, earlier, there are people that are going to make fun of Aaron Rodgers no matter what. And I do think the temperature in the room, if you call Wisconsin a room, is that I would venture that probably half the population's Loved his career in Green Bay, but have had enough. You think that's fair? I think it is. And I said a few weeks ago, I, I do think the Packers are going to trade him. So when that would be, what that would look like, no idea. I'm not paid to make those decisions. Uh, lots more texts. Let's get to uh, some more of those. Uh, 414. I think deep down inside he's missing something. He needs to find out what that is so he can be consistent or contented. Um, perhaps he's missing Super Bowl titles. That's the interesting thing that I, I said the other day about this. As successful has, as he's been individually, four-time MVP, winning a Super Bowl in 2010. Let's be honest. Going into the playoffs and losing every year for the last 12 years is probably not that much fun. And I can see someone at the, that performs at the highest level like he does how that gets in your head, seeing the success of Tom Brady. And I understand they're friends, which makes perfect sense because they're both high achievers at a certain position. But I think that has to get inside your head after a while. 855-616-1620 is the old National Bank talking text line. We'll take a break. Lots more texts. You can join us on the phone as well. We'll continue after this on WTMJ. Aaron Rodgers. People taking shots. Emerged from his sensory deprivation. Producer Brandon, we played it for you earlier in his extra points today, said, you know what? It's okay to criticize, but lay off the mental health aspects of this. And, and frankly, I agree with him. Uh, let's go to Tom calling from New Berlin. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, yeah, I guess what I have to say about this whole thing is that if you decide to become a celebrity, and somebody does, whether you're a sports celebrity um, a music singer, um, actress or actor, you should expect you're going to, you're going to, you know, you have an opportunity to make a lot of money like Aaron Rodgers has. I mean, now he's done the ads and he's done the um, game shows and whatever. So he likes the celebrity part. You should expect that you're going to get slack. You're going to have a lot of praise, but you're going to get criticized for things as well. It's part of it. It's like, you know, it's like, so let's just like the situation with Donna recently at the Grammys with her face. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just part of being a celebrity. You have to take ownership. So is there a line? I, I think that dark thing is kind of weird. It, it is, you know, if he could point out, like, what's good about it, I don't know anything about it. I'm into working out and eating healthy. I mean, I think if he did that, he wouldn't get the flack. 
Is there um, any line that we shouldn't cross as fans, do you think? Or is, is he just fair game, all celebrities? Yeah, it's fair game. It's part of being a celebrity. I mean, there shouldn't be any violence or anything like that. Well, obviously, like right. to laugh about this being in a room of darkness. I mean, come on. <laughs> that, that's not involving violence to anybody or anything like that or, you know, nothing racist. Um, I, I appreciate the call, Tom. Look, look. I'm, you know, I, I said I agree with Brandon on this. I once, if if this is what this truly is, if this is the desire to improve his mental health, state of his brain, right? These guys take a lot of hits. He gets all the pressure for being the star quarterback of one of the uh, NFL's most iconic franchises. It's got a weigh on on you. Throw in some relationship issues, family issues that we all have, not unique to Aaron Rodgers. I can imagine that would be a, a hard thing to uh, deal with. And for me, maybe there is a line. And it's it's certainly Brandon's words, an extra point, certainly gave me pause and said maybe some of this I don't need to engage in. That's really what I, I want to get from you, where you think we're at. From the 262 Honestly, people just need to mind their own business. This mainly is an issue with the media. They're, they're the ones making these stories to get headlines and clicks. So in reality, they're selling and making money off of other people's misfortunes, which is sad. Here's what I, I think might come out of this. That's a good point, 262. It's not going to be for everybody because there's some real lunatics working in sports talk. Trust me. But I think there's going to be some consideration of this element of this story. So when, when I heard Brandon's piece this morning, it, it did register with me, with me that, yeah, this is something that maybe we should be thinking about. Maybe we do need to pivot a little bit here. Now, again, I've said out loud a number of times, I, I could have done without the launch of whatever he's up to. Just tell us afterwards what you went through. Interesting story. Maybe we don't dwell on it for weeks and weeks. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if SNL did something on this. I mean, this this is pretty unusual behavior. Not that Tom Brady doesn't do crazy things as well. A couple more before we get to news here. Uh, 414, I like Aaron, Aaron Rodgers for football, nothing else. He's way past his prime, needs to retire. He's one year away from an MVP season. Let's, um, let's pump the brakes on he's finished. Just a thought. He went many years before he won those back-to-back number three and four MVP, MVP titles. So... Up to breaks on that. He wants to play, apparently. We'll see if it's for the Green Bay Packers in the next season. Uh, thanks for all the text and the phone calls. After the break, we're going to do kind of an interesting story. I, I'm a fan of the show Finding Your Roots. Well, they had Angela Davis on there. Militant, radical. And the, the research into her background was stunning and shocking. And, I, and it points out something that I, I want to talk about in the next half hour. This illusion that issues of race are so simple in this country, when in fact the real story is not even close. Got a special baseball edition of If Steve Wrote the World coming up at 1108-ish on WTMJ. Broadcasting live from our Avenue studios in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Hopefully it's a nice, sunny day where you are at, and we have listeners all over the place, so uh, enjoy your Friday as we launch into the weekend. Um, I'm going to the Marquette game on Saturday night. I, I have not been. I, 
It's probably been 20 years at least since I've been at a Marquette game playing DePaul at the Pfizer Forum. I'm looking forward to it. So if you're out there, wave, say hi, shout, hopefully not mean things. Do what you got to do. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. Marquette, very, very hot team in the uh, NCAA discussion this year. I think they're top ten, right? Didn't I see they were like number nine or something? All right, this next story, I'm a fan of the show Finding Your Roots. It basically traces celebrities' history when it comes to their ancestry, using records, DNA, and all that stuff. Big fan. I've had my ancestry looked at, and it's not surprising. It matches my parents completely. And if anybody who is listening out, out there has done that, and if you have relatives that are in Europe, Mediterranean area, you know that you have a lot of different things going on because that was the center of the world for so long. Anyway, so the story is basically they look at famous people. In the case of former Black Panther, and I think she's now retired, but she used to be a University of California professor, Angela Davis. Very aggressive, radical, Black Panther. Uh, had connections to criminal activity, including aiding and abetting individuals who carried out crimes in the name of civil rights and the like. So she goes on the show. She's 79 years old. She goes on the show and learns that she herself has ancestors that are whites. Now, if you know anything about Angela Davis and her history, she's advocated for reparations payments and other issues related to civil rights, fair and equal treatment for all races in this country, which is that part is noble. But it's interesting to me that when she finds out that, for example, on one side of her family, she had ancestors on the Mayflower coming over to the United States, white ancestors. And she had on both sides ancestors that were white. There's a fundamental point to be made here. You can talk all you want about reparations and how we treat each other race as races, but the dirty little secret here, here is it's not that, for lack of a better term, black and white. It's not. You talk about a melting pot? This is truly a melting pot. And I, I'm guessing that if you look up the ancestry of almost every American, there's going to be some surprises in there. And I've seen this happen over and over again on the show. The show's on PBS, if you don't know. It's a, it's a great show. Everything from comedians to actors to sports stars, in this case, a uh, an activist. To me, this illustrates why ideas about reparations or trying to make good on the mistreatment of one group or another while it may seem like a, a good idea to some, is not feasible in, the, in real life. If somebody like Angela Davis, who is the most militant of people who identifies as African-American, well, the truth is, she is mixed race. And if we're going to play the game of race, acknowledging that you're African-American also means acknowledging that you're white as well. And I, I thought it was 
disingenuous when she said, when, re, when asked about this ancestry, this history, this family history, that wasn't as clear-cut as she would have liked or thought, she simply replied, those aren't my people. Well, science doesn't lie in this case. History does not lie. And I'm fascinated by this idea that somehow it's so easy to discern, if you're a fan of reparations, I'm not, who should get these things. There's no perfect lineage, there's no perfect lines, there's no easy-to-trace routes beyond the overriding fundamental question is, how in the world can you make people alive today responsible for something that happened 200, 300, 400 years ago? And the answer is you can't. 855-616-1620. I think this is a clear illustration how instead of focusing on the differences Understand it, even in, in individuals who would never have thought, ever, that they were of a mixed race. Who have advocated for ideas like reparations and other supposed solutions to fixing the racial problems in this country. Not that they're not real problems. There are, trust me. I've talked about them on the show. This is clear evidence that none of this is going to be solved by dividing. Because the real answer in all of this is an understanding that we are culturally connected, genetically connected, in a lot more ways than we ever thought about. And if you've wandered through the streets of any city, in a big city in America, you understand this. The racial question Is, has never been more on display. And I've said this over and over again. Young people, except in rare circumstances, they don't look at race the same way that someone my age does. And in my world, that's a good thing. What do you think? 855-616-1620. Maybe I'm projecting too much, but I think this is a clear example of the absurdity of some of these arguments. And the unwillingness to understand that race in this country is a very, very complex issue. It's not simplistic. And there's no Band-Aid, one-size-fits-all approach to resolving the serious issues that we face every day. You're listening to WTMJ. Spring training is here and baseball is back. Keep it tuned here on WTMJ. All spring long for Cactus League baseball, all the sounds of Brewers baseball, including the one, the only, Bob Euchre on the call for some games all throughout spring training season. Our first spring training broadcast this Saturday, 2.10 p.m. It's spring training, and it's back right here on the home of the Brewers, WTMJ, which prompted me when I first read this yesterday to devote my Steve of the World today to new rules for baseball. 2023 edition coming up about 11.08 today. Um, I said say this all the time, listen better, be smarter. A couple textures say, so you're saying it's okay that someone was raped by a slave owner. How did you get that out of what I just said? And obviously the answer is, no, that's not okay. But acknowledging that history, acknowledging that divisions 
between races isn't as clear-cut as one might think is important. And on the issue of reparations, there's a big question. One, the cost. Two, which, as we know, is a driver of many conversations in this country, even ones you wouldn't think would have anything to do with that. But the other part of this is, how in the world, given this history, would you sort this out? Besides the underlying problem of making someone born 200 years or 300 years later pay for something that their relatives did back then. Not as easy as one might think. Does it mean that someone's not going to try? No. There are efforts underway to already make that happen. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a stretch, but the, the, this new basic income model that cities like Chicago, San Francisco, Madison, I think, has tried this or is trying this, where you provide no-strings dollars to individuals who apply for it, anywhere from $500 to $1,000. Los Angeles has done this. That that may be sort of a foot in the door for some of these rape reparations questions. But let me be clear on this part. Slavery is an eyesore and a stain on this country's history that will probably never go away. There's no redeeming value. We shouldn't celebrate the South because of that reality. I don't have a positive reaction to a Confederate flag. I think it's evil, and when I see him in my neighborhood occasionally, it does give me pause, and I think, how is that still a thing? But here we are. Equally disconcerting is the fact that racism is on the rise in this country. So we have a choice to make. We have to decide what that future is going to be. I thought it was illuminating that it's somebody who is a, a radical leader in this country through the era of civil rights until this day looked at her history when presented with her both sides of her family tree white ancestors and simply dismisses that as those aren't my people it doesn't work that way and I think acknowledging what went a long way to acknowledging the difficulty in figuring out race in America is understanding what happened in America throughout our history there's too much of the um, just throwing away the stuff you don't like and just focusing on the things you do already in politics and in our culture. And that's dangerous to me. We'll take another quick break. Lots more to get to. Don't forget, Steve of the World coming up 11.08 today. Cannot wait on WTMJ. Lots of text on my conversation about Angela Davis, former Black Panther. Was on the was the subject of a ancestry trace on the show Finding Your Roots, great show on PBS, local PBS as well, and was surprised the fact that she had white ancestors, which I think speaks to some of the concerns I have about when we when we have a broader conversation about race. From the text line, old National Bank talking text line. See if I agree with you that, that your take that the generations X and Z look at race far differently than our boomer generation, and that's a big positive. It is. I don't think younger people look at it the same way that my generation does. And that's a positive. And there's an old saying, and I almost hesitate to use it, but I'm not, I'm not going to pull back. Time heals all wounds. As we get farther and farther away from our racist history, which was about as heinous a history as any country could have, 
individuals treated as less than human, barbaric conditions, inhumane treatments. We should always acknowledge that that happened. Shouldn't scrub it out of our history, pretend it didn't happen. But it's, it's a far bigger leap to say that people who are living today, beyond the acknowledgement of that racist history, should somehow be forced to compensate those people. The logistics of that is nightmarish. Doesn't mean there aren't efforts to make that happen. Um, from the text line, uh, you're spot on on the issue of race, reparations, etc. Until we all start celebrating the accomplishments of people in this country as Americans, we'll continue to divide all of us in this country. That's kind of my point. We have we seem to be pushing ourselves, and this is my take on it. You may have a different one. You can join us, 855-616-1620. We seem to be siloing or pushing ourselves into boxes in a lot of different categories. Race is just one of them. Anybody who's in a current work environment, anybody who is in an educational environment, lives in a neighborhood that is diverse, should, and I think in most cases do, understand the, the power of that diversity. Right? Now, I just watched something last night that was stunning to me. and It was, it was a famous person. I forgot who he was. He's a cartoonist. I forgot his name who advocates for the separation of races. And this guy is a pretty famous cartoonist. That is a shocking a statement as you could make in any era, but certainly in today's era. Obviously, we have to sort these things out. But in my mind, reparations is not the way to do that. 262, history repeats itself. First is tragedy. Second is farce. Karl Marx. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Yes, we should never forget our history. But part of the healing, I think, has to be an understanding that this is much more interrelated, much more woven together than a lot of us would like to admit. It's not simplistic. It's not one or the other. It's not black or white. It's not any of that. And the illuminating thing for me when I watched Angela Davis on Finding Your Roots there was an research, there was a understanding that this was indeed her history, but there also was a throwing aside of that information as, these are not my people. When in fact, they were her people. As painful as that is to admit. Uh, for the 9-2-0, I'm an educator, I've seen kids of all races play together and work together in amazing ways at the younger grades. What happens to those relationships as these kids get older? The harmony in some cases seems to disappear. Is that from an adult influences? You bet it is. You bet it is. That's where it comes from. And generationally, I think that will soften and eventually go away, given just the nature of this country and other places. There's Trust me, there's always going to be people and evildoers who will not accept anyone that looks praise, acts, fill in the blank, differently than they do. That's the reality. I think understanding that reality is something we also have to do. Acknowledging not everybody's on the same page, but also understanding there's progress that can be taken away from this. 
That was the point of bringing this up. Let's talk about baseball. New rules for baseball. Let's get to it. If you listen to the show, you know I love to talk about going to the ballpark, having an ice cold beer, and taking down a brat or two. Who doesn't? That's the baseball experience for me. I don't have to keep up, uh, up with the stats or filling out the old scorebook like Wagner likes to do, or as much as I used to. I could care less about contract talks or analytics or all that math-related sports stuff that consumes so many fans' attention. I suck at math anyway. And part of me thinks one of the biggest reasons why fantasy leagues were invented was to get geeks interested in sports. But I digress. The only fantasy I have related to baseball is watching the Brewers win a World Series. I don't take delight from a team just being competitive or being happy to make the postseason. Not my thing. Because as someone famous once said, I did just like you told me. If you ain't first, you're last. What the hell are you talking about? Well, you told me that day at school for career day. You came in, you said, if you ain't first, you're last. Oh, hell, Ricky, I was high when I said that. But that doesn't make any sense at all. First, you're last. You you can be second, you can be third, fourth, hell, you can be fifth. Yeah, I know that's a clip about auto racing, but you get it. New rule, this Brewer team needs to win a World Series before Bob Euchre retires. Or I'm off the radio. Why do I have this feeling that the Euchre play would be a safer bet? Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. It's the rule of the world. I got to admit, this one is only a little bit about baseball. Well, maybe not at all. But weather does play a role in deciding when baseball is played. We call that a stretch in the radio business. Remember last year when I called the action from opening day and the the porta-potties were sailing across the parking lots at 25 miles per hour? That was out of hand. I know those weather folks love to talk about this stuff because in their mind it justifies the 15 minutes of every local news show that they spend devoted to weather. But let's be fair. As I said yesterday, can we please stop arguing about snow totals? David Watson's been monitoring traffic, but first we go to Ryan Marshall, who's out monitoring the snowfall. Ryan, what's it look like out there? Yeah, uh, it looks like snow, just like I predicted in my forecast from the studio. I'm not sure why I'm out here literally looking around. It looks like snow. You could just take a video of it snowing and show that. Why do I have to be here to describe snowfall? It's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> Seems like the cold has gotten you in an icy mood yourself, Ryan. Okay, you know what, Shannon? I am in an icy mood, okay? Nice pun. It's the rule of the world. I can't talk about baseball without mentioning the strike zone. It's too small, it's too subjective, and it doesn't work. Other than the prolonged baseball games unnecessarily. I want robots, and I want them now. You want to pay an overweight and overpaid fat, sweaty umpire to sit there while a computer calls balls and strikes? Go for it. But much like the first downline in, in football, start using the damn technology. You want to be a league known for cheating or innovation? I choose innovation every time. Hey, Rob Manford, there's this little concept called diversion. Get folks thinking about and complaining about something else, and your knuckleheadism doesn't look so bad. You hearing me? Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? 
It's the rule of the world. Speaking of fat humps, is that insensitive? How about weight challenge? Does that work now for the word police? Look, I watch a lot of professional sports. Why is it that only professional baseball umpires are out of shape? It's a full-time job. NFL referees wish they were granted full-time status, and they're part-timers, and they're in better shape than you. These guys and girls now sometimes are in better shape than the players. Now, I know hot dogs and bratwurst are a popular ballpark food item, but maybe in your busy umpiring schedule, you can find time to hit a treadmill once in a while and get your eyes checked. If you actually call the more consistent strike zone, maybe the games would be shorter and you can have extra time to work out that hot dog weights. Lighten up, Francis. It's the rule of the world. Can we please talk about tailgating? If you listen to last year's opening day broadcast, you heard me talking about the challenges for tailgaters with the high winds at American Family Field. I saw one of our good karma interns get launched across the parking lot like a like common sense gets tossed out at a Trump rally. But beyond the crazy win and, and once normal tailgating returns, here's what I need to change. No limits on hours of tailgating. If me and my three buddies want to get out there at 8 a.m. for 6 p.m. first pitch, so be it. Parking lot's empty. We're consuming beer, chips, bratwurst, hamburgers, which means we're spending money, which is good for the economy. No dogs allowed while tailgating. It's not like the airlines where you can stick a fake vest in your German Shepherd and pretend it helps keep you calm while you fly. As far as I can tell, no one is afraid of tailgating. Leave your dog at home and your pony and your cat. People tailgate. Pets do three things. Eat, sleep, and... Well, you know what. Other than the eating parts, not part of anybody's list of appropriate tailgating activities. And let's leave the salads at home, people. You can't make it on a grill. It doesn't belong at a tailgate. Meat, cheese, sausage, chips, pretzels, nachos. I think you all know what works. What works? This isn't California. It's Wisconsin. And if the umps aren't going to worry about their weight, why the hell should the tailgaters? You can't handle the truth. It's the rule of the world. Speaking of sausage, a word on the racing sausages. Now, I like some spirited in-game fan entertainment as much as the next guy, but this sausage fest has kind of reached heartburn phase, no? Maybe some, have some running condiments, mustard, jardinier, ketchup. Maybe add a climbing wall and mix it up a bit. Last year, the Italian was a consistently bad sausage racer. Was this on purpose? There's some sort of an Italian, anti-Italian bias built into this thing. Are hot dogs some kind of hometown favorite? Why would anyone eat a hot dog anyway? You can have Italian sausage instead. But I digress. Let's liven this thing up a bit. Maybe obstacle course this thing. Or better yet, get rid of the sausages. A pause for all the screams out there in Radio Land. How about letting the beers run? Like Lambo. We all like beer. Except maybe sports fans in California. Or maybe we let the beers fight. Like cage match style. Or like a Cubs Brewer series. I take a Miller Lite beat down over a sausage spring around the field any day of the week. Hell, they don't even call it Miller Park anymore. How about racing insurance company mascots? But in this scenario, American Family Insurance always wins. It's the rule of the world. A quick word or two on the rules of baseball. Can we please stop this nonsense? Free runner on second base in, sec- in extra innings? Come on. What kind of sports league operates like a bingo card with their free spots and gimmicky rules? Can we please fix this? You know what it reminds me of? When Democrats or Republicans pretend they can actually they actually care about the national deficit. They know their inconsistency on spending is a problem, but the solution is to pretend it doesn't really matter. To me, baseball sounds a lot like this now. Bob Euchre excluded, of course. 
Yeah, who's up first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy playing first. Who? The guy playing first base. Who? The guy on first base. <laughs> Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I don't know. It's Steve. Rule the world. I have to talk about what really adds the ridiculous amount of time it takes to play a major league baseball game. Four-hour baseball game. Pitchers taking too much time. Did you know the pitch clock's coming this year? Good news. These players who constantly step out, adjust their batting gloves, their batting helmets, and their crotch for some reason, what could have possibly shifted that much on a pitch that you didn't swing at? No more stepping up. You step out, you're out. Don't like to get a real job. Last time I checked, Aaron Rodgers needs a life coach. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson needs a realities coordinator and probably a science book. Mike Gableman still needs to study up an election law. And President Joe Biden needs to drink more coffee. Sleepy Joe, indeed, because I'm in a generous mood this week. They all get the deliverance theme this week. It's Steve. Rule the world. And last but not least, because I always try and end these things on a positive note, if I truly ruled the world, the Brewers would win the World Series at least once every 50 years. If my math is right, they'd play 50-plus seasons. So let's do something to change that recipe, which, other than a sniff in 1982, hasn't worked out too well. May they have hitting and pitching to spare this year, a ballpark full of 3 million fans, and may they finally solve the Cubs' home game dilemma while I'm thinking about that, new rule, if you're a Cubs fan, you don't get to come to Miller Park unless you pay a beer consumption tax. Call it a freeway toll with all the, without all the infrastructure and endless arguments about tolls in the Wisconsin State Legislature that never really go anywhere. If the politicians can't get it done, maybe the brewers will. You drink, you pay. While we're at it, since I'm ruling the world, Cubs fans have to pay to use the bathroom, too. Not troughs, real bathrooms. And you call yourself a big city. That is this week's If Steve Ruled the World. Take us to break, Brandon. Milwaukee's been a big league town since Aaron came up from the clown. Spawny, Eddie Lou, Billy Joe. Then the pilots changed their name, and the Brewers soon became the only name Milwaukee fans were cheering for. I'm talking baseball, skip block with Kubiak, Brewer baseball. Slayton Scott and Briggs and Davey May. Harper shares a feet with Hank and Mays. Talking baseball. Brewers all the way. Well, Bambi came from Baltimore. All right, a little baseball talk. Don't forget 210 this Saturday. First pitch for the Cactus League season. Our Milwaukee Brewers. Somebody said I said Miller Park. I think I said that they used to call Miller Park, but who knows? There's a lot of words in that piece. So a lot of words, spoken words in the what is one of my favorite segments of Steve Rule the World. So uh, thanks for the for the comments. Somebody just sent me this, 414 on the old National Bank talking text line. Haven't heard that song in years talking baseball. Thank you for reminding me about that song. You know what? I was researching that song. That same artist did different songs for all the teams or a lot of the other teams. So there's a Yankees version and other versions that I wasn't aware of, so I went and found that. Um, let's see. 
Mitch from Sturgeon Bay. Here's some fodder for you. Two of these rule changes indicate non-baseball people, geeks, made them. Pickoff limit. A pitcher ought to be able to throw over as much as he needs to to limit a runner's lead. I don't know if I agree with that. It's kind of a time waster. Um, so I disagree with you on, on that one. Bigger bases essentially lessens the distance between bases by four and a half inches to encourage more base stealing and more safe calls. It's fake. Are bigger bases safer? The most dangerous item for a runner on the field is the base, and they were going to make them bigger? Dumb. That's from Mitch and Sturgeon Bay. We're going to see. The games take too long. I think opening day last year was more than four hours long. It was either last year or the year before. Way, way, way too long. And I think I do admire the fact that they're, they're starting to look at technology baby steps, let's be honest. And I do think there's going to be some sort of better way to call balls and strikes at some point. I think they're trying out in the, in the minor leagues. That's going to happen, folks. And I always reference football. Other than cameras, there are things they should have done a long time ago. The, the first down thing is nuts, that some dude puts his foot down, and that's where the ball went. And then we have to review it 100 times to make sure that it was like six inches forward or six inches back. There's technology, microchips that could fix that in a second. So maybe football should take a lesson for baseball. But we're all going to see this year how good this stuff works. Uh, let's see. That one has nothing to do with what I just talked about, so we'll leave that go. Um, somebody said I, I was being mean to umps. And I always tell folks when they think I'm being mean and Steve ruled the world, it's tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of very in-shape umps, trust me. A lot of fat ones, though, too. At least last time I looked. Maybe they slimmed down for this 2023 season. Uh, Steve, you sound like a Little League parents. How so? Are Little League parents witty and funny and critical? Offer their assessment of big things with biting commentary and satire? I don't know. You tell me. All right, we'll take a break. I'm going to shift gears. We are going to talk about, I'm fascinated by this. My friend Christian Snyder, author and columnist, wrote a piece in National Review. And essentially it has to do with politics as reality TV. And get your brains thinking about that one, because I'm going to read some of, uh, of his writing from that piece, but also I've got some points to make on the reality of politics today, as told from the perspective of reality TV stars, and I think we all know who those people are, in politics, both here and in Washington. We'll break. Back with that after this. All right, as I said, we're going to see up a story that was written by my friend Christian Snyder. He's a guest every couple of weeks on our program, usually Tuesdays. Author and columnist, written a couple books. His most recent, Anti-Knowledge, which I read on the plane to Athens and back. Uh, brilliant. And I would describe his style as witty and wise. He knows politics very well. Been around it for a long time. And he's written a piece. I got to pull up the name here quick. Um, for National Review called Government for Me, By Me, and Of Me. And that last part is the part that I want to focus on. I'm going to read a little bit before we get to news with Connie Weber here. And then we're going to tee it up. I'll probably read a little more after the break as well. And it has to do with politicians and their behavior. So a little bit from the piece. No one objects to politicians being silly on their own time. See Republican Nancy Mace's recent roast of the GOP at the Washington Press Club, in which she took aim at her buffoonish colleagues, 
But there's a cost to the public when politicians and activists use the channels of government to engage in hijinks and gimmickry meant only to benefit themselves. Sound familiar? My words. Take, for example, the recent vote for Speaker of the House, protracted by the MAGA wing of the Republican Party so that politicians such as Matt Gates, fentanyl in human form, could mug for cameras for days on end. This week, these same spotlight-hugging time vampires held a House committee hearing to complain that Twitter had blocked their social media accounts. The entertainment wing of the party, as former GOP, GOP Speaker Paul Ryan called it, has taken the institution of Congress and simply made it a platform for their own drama. They consistently invent crises, which, surprise, only they can fix, thereby de demonstrating their usefulness to voters. It's a reality show, and taxpayers are paying the production costs. Christian Snyder, witty and wise on the performance arts, the theatrics of modern American politics. I've called this out for a long time. He's been on point, he being Christian Snyder, author and columnist for a long time on the same issue. I think it's destroying political debate in this country. When the AOCs, Lauren Boebert's, Matt Gates's, there's a long list on both sides, who engage in grabbing their 15 minutes, but not just once, every day, trying to get on talk shows and on the latest air-quoting news programs. What do you think? 855-616-1620. The theater that is politics today, destroying intelligent debates, not only in Washington, but also in Wisconsin. That's our conversation. Thanks, Connie, for that uh, news and weather updates. Um, I read a piece, some of the uh, the great piece written by my friend Christian Snyder, author and columnist. He was actually on our airwaves this week, hosting WTMJ Nights. Uh, hopefully you check that out. And it has to do with the theater that is modern politics. I want Just one more quick excerpt from the uh, the great piece by Christian Snyder, and then when I go to the phone lines, I see Rome is queued up. Um. It is an interesting time in this country because, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that I've talked a lot about the time and energy and dollars that are being wasted by the antics of politicians. And we think about just the the lack of getting things resolved, fixing things. And it's amazing to me that we're not up in arms about this. So I just want to read a, one more little clip, and I'll go to, to Rome on the phone. And you can join us, 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line. From the piece, we have come to a point where a fair amount of taxpayers' cash is being poured into transforming political mediocrities into celebrities. We'd get more for our buck if we put them in a shipping container and let it float out into space, assuming we can get the good ones that once again suspend <laughs> The Laws of Gravity. It's from Christian Snyder. Rome joins us from Midtown. Welcome to the show, Rome. Good morning, and thank you uh, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Steve, I, you know, I'm, I'm really frustrated at this point in my life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm retired, and, uh, you know, I've worked all my life, you know, for the American dream. Uh, I was one of those persons that grew up in the Deep South in the 50s, and I've seen the transformation our country has, has had. And uh, I've seen a lot of good things happen. But, but what's happening now is that a lot of those things are being torn down by a group of people that are only interested in politics to improve their brand. All they want to do is get their name recognition out there so they can be on these shows, so they can become instant memes and, 
and 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 uh, and be able to get the followings with the clicks and everything. So you know, when when I look in terms of where we're at in our country, and I think we're electing people like this, who's putting us in harm's way, who's not for our best benefit. When are the American people going to wake up? And I'm not going to call out my Republican counterparts because there's no Republicans anymore. But something's got to give. Yeah, thanks for the great call, Roman. And I love Rome's passion on this. Somebody said to me the other day away from the show, email. And you can email me at steve.scafidi2fs1d at wtmj.com. Well, you're, why are you giving him this attention, these, these crazy people? Why don't you do what everybody else does? Just talk about the issues. So wait a second here. You're not getting real substance and talk on the issues. You're getting, let's be honest, spin from one side or the other. That's what you're getting. But set that aside. I am not, I should just say it, I'm sick and tired, like Rome is, of our time, energy, and money being wasted on these people. They are tasked with doing the people's work. But that's not what they're doing. They're doing their own work to enrich themselves, whether that's celebrity, money, I don't know, maybe relevance, so they, in their own weird way, they think that they're actually part of something important when they're not. All they do is walk around with a title that they haven't haven't earned and don't deserve. Am I condemning all politicians? Absolutely not. There are a few that do a pretty good job. But unfortunately, they're being drowned out by this. And if we don't point this out, it's not it's not going to diminish, trust me. Because when you're that kind of a celebrity as a politician, instead of just doing the, the people's work, you're going to make more money. You're going to be paid to speak. Right? You're going to write books that some idiots are going to buy. You keep yourself relevant when your brain doesn't deserve that position. As we sit here today, December 24th, 2023, there are people in Congress, there are people in our state legislature here in Wisconsin who don't deserve to be there. But they are. Voted in. I understand the process. I know that it's hard to get them out. But So not only do we point it out, we, we show you that there's a, a path to eliminating this problem. That is to listen to the words they say. Words matter, that's why I play them. Or read them in this case. We are not being entertained. Because frankly, it's, it's ridiculous that this is what passes for politics. Conspiracy theories. Hyper-partisanship. Look here while I do this. Look away. Look at that new thing, new shiny thing. All of that misdirection. We're going to have a Supreme Court race in April, April 4th, in this state. And I made this point the other day, and I, I, maybe I'll reinforce it. Whatever you think about the candidates, whatever you think about whatever your side, whatever that side is, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, left or right, the only thing that matters to me as a voter, does my vote move us in a direction where we get serious about the things that are ailing all of us? What is that inflation is one. Crime, educational performance, and the laws of the land. Give me somebody that's going to be serious about this stuff. 
And you can interpret that the way you want to because your vote is your decision. Next Wednesday, I'm going to have a chance to talk to both of the candidates for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Judge Janet Protosiewicz, Justice Daniel Kelly. Same hour. I will ask them the questions that point us in the direction of actually fixing, resolving, doing real work. Because I can guarantee you between now and then, April 4th, you're going to see a lot of money spent on commercials that have no value whatsoever in the real world. They're nonsensical. And the fact that agencies produce these things and take money for it, shame on you. I've said that over and over again. I understand how business works. I understand you've got to make money. You could be better as well. That requires, I don't know, some gumption on your behalf, some willingness to, to say to a party, you sure you want to do this? This really what's in your best interest? Because we're going to learn something about Wisconsin in the next six weeks. What we're about and what we stand for. And if standing for something besides theater and theatrical politicians, some of these people have behavioral issues that probably require somebody helping them. I hope they get that help. Couple texts before I get to the weekend review sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited. 414. Politicians are confusing politics with governing. It takes governing to solve our problems, not the nonsense I hear from Congress. It is nonsensical, really. It's it's the, the dumbest. As I said the other day, dumb and dumber. And I'm using a movie analogy because that's how bad it is. What are we doing here? And you're going to be bombarded with commercials that you're going to say after you watch these commercials, if you watch them, which a lot of people don't. This is nuts. And all that money. I, I have no idea why people donate to politicians anymore. I'm told we're in a recession. I'm I'm told inflation is killing us, but yet people are handing over their hard-earned money so they can produce trash ads that change no minds and, frankly, serve no real purpose. What are we doing here? 414, all the Democrats and Republicans care about is filling their pockets and getting elected. We need a new party that's just for the people. Perhaps. I think this country will evolve when it comes to politics. Might take some time. We may see a split because, as we talked about with Bill McCashin earlier, oof, Republicans, that crazy piece, gonna kill us. Trust me. And you can talk all you want about unifying, but it's funny that the the calls for unifying are coming from the very people who try to divide the party every day, calling Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell. And others, rhinos. When you say something like that, you realize you look like a knucklehead, right? I was going to use idiot, but I use it too much. They both apply. All right. We do it every week, every Friday. The Week in Review this week is no different. A former president enters hospice care. A winter mess leads to power outages, a partial parking garage crumble, and more. It's the Week in Review brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited. Walking to hit us, go back, 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 back. 
The Milwaukee County Transit System announcing that masks will no longer be required to ride the bus. Howdy! We say out in Georgia also. Word that former President Jimmy Carter is with his family at home in Plains, Georgia, receiving end-of-life hospice care. President Biden on the ground in Ukraine this morning, making a surprise trip ahead of the one-year anniversary of the war. Kiev has captured a part of my heart, I must say. Putin's war of conquest is failing. Beat on the punchy I see. Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, or known as well in these parts as Punchki Day. Jason, I told you, man, don't let them bully you into the prune. You don't have to do it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, they're bullying them. Anticlimactic. <laughs> Put it in your mouth and just eat it. God, I hate it. I don't care whether you hate it. You say Michael. you do it. We like sports and we don't care who knows. Be honest. We'll back it down and that's how the 72nd NBA All-Star Game begins. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That was worth the wait. This is Rogers Watch 2023 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. When it comes to me, they don't know Jason Wilde, our good friend and teammate, had a bit of an interesting rant yesterday about Aaron Rodgers. If I was Goody, I would say, are you effing kidding me, man? The shot three-quarter court is no good and Marquez wins. Marquette wins! And Greg McDermott <laughs> was not happy at Shaka Smart. He was going crazy <laughs> before was. they shook hands. At the baseline, throws it into the front court. It's caught by Godfrey. He puts one up at the buzzer. He missed it off the front iron, and the Panthers have survived. It will be Janet Protasevich versus Dan Kelly in the April election to fill the decisive seat on the court. I'm counting on all of you, each and every one of you, to continue the momentum because there's too much at stake. That's the fight. It really is to maintain the constitutional order in the state of Wisconsin to make sure that we live under the rule of law and not the rule of Janet. Currently under WTMJ Fleet Farm Storm Team Alert with this later winter storm locking in over southeast Wisconsin. Still snow, sleet and freezing rain all moving into the area. Again, this storm is a messier storm and the fact that we're not seeing just snow or rain, we are seeing those in-between types of precipitation. Dev Eric Bilstead just texted me and said yeah. he's out on the highway and it's like driving on mashed potatoes. It's like <laughs> we are following breaking news. Let's turn to Eric Bilstead. Sandy, we're following a situation at Bayshore Mall in Glendale. We're getting reports of a partial collapse at a parking structure there. Several vehicles crushed, unknown right now if, if any of the vehicles were occupied. We are getting live pictures into our newsroom, and it's a pretty incredible. North Shore Fire Rescue and supporting agencies are now at the mall. The third floor is in the first floor right now. Right now I'm saying it's fire trucks everywhere, police everywhere. Firemen are currently inside the garage. We can see them shoveling debris. Luckily, we at this point have no injuries. The heavy urban rescue team and the structure collapse unit is working with the property owner's engineering firm to make sure that it is indeed not in danger of any further collapse. I just parked there at 8 a.m. this morning. Just wanted to avoid the snow, and it collapsed. So I got more snow than I bargained for. What a week, huh? What a week, eh? What a week. Shut it down! Let's go! Weekend Review is sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited. Raise your hand out there if anybody is shocked by the fact that we maybe don't ever talk about snow load and its impact on parking garages, all that weight. Found out yesterday sleet is apparently four times as heavy as snow. Did not know that. We always learn things. But one of the things I'm learning, as like a lot of other examples we've talked about recently, the follow-up, the infrastructure, deficiencies, failures, you're going to start hearing more of these stories. 
because that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where we're not doing the job that we should be doing. Real quick look, final look at our poll. I don't even know if I mentioned it today. We're so busy. Um, I'm going to talk about it on Monday with Carol Kane. She joins me every Monday on WTMJ. Milwaukee was chosen to host the DNC in 2020. We know how that worked out. Hosting the RNC in 2024, the newest news, the debates coming up, Republican debates. And the Bucks just made a pitch for the NBA All-Star Game. Does this suggest to you that Milwaukee's profile is improving nationally? He have a few choices. No, just politics. Yes, big gets. Maybe, but work to do. Right now, the leader on the course at maybe, but work to do is 60%. So positive signs, even when we talk about the negative stories that most big cities face.